Welcome back to the Rob Manis Show. It's good to be back with you. Today's show is, Will Big Tech Lose Its War with Free Speech Rights and the Free Market? Facebook, Twitter, and Google currently enjoy immunity from lawsuits, even though they actively censor our speech, suppress our voices, suppress the voices of competing publishers, and willfully defame American citizens and entities by tagging them as purveyors of false information even when the facts don't support it. Uh, meanwhile, the debates rage about what to do in government and among conservative legal ad advocates, a lot of talk, but very little to no action is being taken to end the suppression of our rights, yours and mine. But my guest today is taking this fight to the big tech oligarchs and we get to learn why they can be defeated. Jason Fick is fighting uh, for America against big tech, really, almost single-handedly in what could be considered one of the most important real-life David versus Goliath battles. Vic built an audience in excess of 38 million followers on Facebook, only to have them systematically stripped away by the platform's community double standards. Jason has felt the sting of corruption more than once in his life. In 2011, Fick was arrested for attempted murder for simply taking a cell phone video of a small fight in Baltimore City, Maryland, where the police just so happened to be related to some of the participants in the fight. Fick spent two months in a Baltimore jail facing two life sentences for what is a constitutional First Amendment right. All charges were eventually dropped by the court with an apology. These events changed Jason forever, inspiring him in a sense of patriotic duty to protect all of our inalienable rights of others. That's you and me, the American citizen. He's never stopped fighting to protect our rights. Fix now turned his attention to stopping big tech's control over free speech and the free market. He sued Facebook in 2018 alleging anti-competitive misconduct. The courts wrongly determined Section 230 immunized Facebook's anti-competitive actions because Facebook can't be treated as a, quote, publisher, since there is no measure of good faith or motive found within 230C1 and dismissed his case. And things seem to as though they were going to succeed, but the decision was made in the Ninth Circuit in an absolute reversal. The very same court now determined Section 230 does not immunize anti-competitive misconduct. Additionally, Supreme Court Justice Thomas rendered a 10-page long evaluation of 230, which was nearly identical to Fick's interpretation of the law. Unfortunately, though, it seemed Jason Fick is on target. The Supreme Court denied his petition to be heard. Undeterred, Mr. Fick filed a motion in the California District Court to set aside his previous judgment. He awaits that decision, which could potentially change the course of history. He has no plans to stop this fight to save America from big tech and big government, really, because they're backing him. If the District Court still denies his motion, he plans to appeal to the Ninth Circuit again this time challenging the court to reconcile their conflicting decisions. But there's more pathways. If he's still denied equal protection under the law, he plans to take his fight directly to the United States itself and sue the government for his due process rights. Social media freedom advocate, Jason Fick. Welcome, sir, to the Rob Manus Show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate having me on here. Yeah, how are you? Doing well, doing well. A little bit well, better folks, than last time we got on here in that yeah. uh, that brief segment. <laughs> yeah, well, folks, it was a reminder to you, to the audience, Jason was scheduled to be on several weeks ago, but he had a car accident that day and had a pretty bad injury. I hope you're healing uh, very well, Jason. Yeah, yeah I'm able to get around pretty well now. So, Thanks for coming on. We were going to have, a, uh, we were going to do this on the 6th of July uh, next week after the Independence Day, but... We've had a little bit of breaking news on the issue uh, in one of the courts uh, that we'll talk about later in the show. So we wanted to move it up and get him on today, and we appreciate him coming on uh, the Rob Manis Show at short notice. Just as a reminder, friends, 
you have the opportunity to ask questions and make comments. We can see them and put them on the screen. And we appreciate an engaged audience because this issue, not a lot of people understand. Uh, as you could tell by the opening monologue, I, I did a ton of research on it. And uh, quite frankly, and I've been involved in IT and information systems and computer programming and everything since, uh, well, since I was a very, very, very young person. Uh, uh, before college, and I still don't quite understand what's going on here with Section 230. Uh, Jason, you mentioned in our discussions bef before the show, uh, you know, that the SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, they, they, they don't really, do they really interpret Section 230 correctly? Are they incorrect in how they interpret this thing? So the case that you mentioned, Enigma versus Mauerbytes, um, they the circumstance there was is that Mauerbytes took down Enigma's information for its own financial benefit, right? That's that's mm -hmm. the crux of the case. And the the Ninth Circuit Court determined that that was um, not protected by Section 230. In fact, uh, the exact quote is, is that the Good Samaritan provision of the Communications Decency Act does not immunize blocking and filtering decisions that are based upon an anti-competitive animus, meaning motivation. So the the case was then appealed to the Supreme Court and they petitioned for for uh, certiorari and the Supreme Court denied certiorari so essentially the Ninth Circuit Enigma versus Mauerbytes decision upheld meaning it's right um, and that came after my decision was made and that decision directly conflicts with my decision it's exact opposite it's diametrically opposed to it but to answer your question Justice Clarence Thomas did something that was kind of unheard of. He rendered this 10 page long, you know, it's, I would almost call it a treatise, but it was essentially a very long explanation uh, and analysis of Section 230. I would implore anybody, read it, because the analysis calls into question every single thing that our case brought into question. There's, there's things about it that, if you can imagine, if you can't be treated as a publisher, and the next mm -hmm. law says, a publishing action well the first one already covered it it becomes redundant there's duplications in the law and he called into question the same thing we said that that's just not right that's not the way the laws are written it's not the way it's to be interpreted and realistically as he said and i love this quote he said that the the courts are reading extra immunity into statutes where it does not belong they're giving him immunity for things because everything section 230 is broken it's not yeah. the the words are the words, and the words are actually mean certain things. But the courts are misreading them. They're they're simply applying things that don't exist. Like for example, in my case, the Ninth Circuit Court said that the second part, uh, Section two thirty C two, in order to to resolve that duplication redundancy issue, they said that it um, it provides a separate grant of immunity. Quote perhaps because they developed information in part. That's nowhere within the law. That doesn't say it. In fact, developing information in part is actually the definition of an information content provider. That's actually it's Section 230 F3 for anybody that's technical. Mm -hmm. But so they've just put in something that's immunity that doesn't exist. It's not there. And that was the problem is, is that unfortunately, when we went to the Supreme Court, our case would have it would have fixed 230, at least the existing meaning of it. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, you have to get five out of nine, or excuse me, no, four out of, of nine uh, of the justices to agree to hear it. And they're not hearing some of the cases that are pivotal. And, and our case would have done it had they done it, you know, had they actually taken on the case, but they didn't. So when they denied yeah. cert on us, we were back at square one, except we weren't. That Enigma case that contradicted us gave us new law in the Ninth Circuit that we did not have to use. So we're now back in the District Court of California under uh, what's called a Motion 60B and saying, hey, in simple terms, and I'm, I'm trying to mm -hmm. simplify this for your audience. Hey, right. you messed up. You messed up so badly that when asked a simple question, is anti-competitive behavior immunized under 230, you said yes. And then yeah. four months later, the same court, albeit you know a different panel of judges, said no. Which is it? Wow. Is it yes or no? And <laughs> some people say, well, 
you had your day in court. Well, that that's not actually. Actually, I'm, I won't say some people. Facebook said I had my day in court. The irony there is, is that a dismissal decides whether you have a day in court. We were denied oral arguments every single time, and people say, "Well, that's because you're wrong." I wasn't wrong. In fact, in the case proved I was right. We were always yeah. right. The problem doesn't lie in Section 230 necessarily. The problem is the courts themselves aren't applying it as written and the way it's supposed to be written. Now, wait a minute. Yes. I'm not an attorney, but I've done enough work on veterans' cases running them up to the Supreme Court. I even know what certiorari means or cert. <laughs> means, certiorari? Rid of certiorari means yeah, please hear our I, case. <laughs> and I shouldn't know that because I'm a guy that dropped yeah. bombs for a living and took them apart uh, for a living. So, uh, but I do know it. Uh, but but I've also learned from the attorneys that I've worked very closely with uh, in my veterans cases that we're, we've worked on in this little advocacy group that I'm in uh, is that don't the judges have to assume that Congress knew what they were talking about when they're applying a law or making a decision when applying a law that Congress passed? So let's jump into the constitutionality. Okay, so when Congress passes a law, right, there's there's certain things that you you just have to assume there's what's called canons of statutory construction, which is what I've always talked about. You can't have redundancies when they when they pass a law. Every single word is important and people miss that, that mm -hmm. every word is important. And ironically, that's actually really what my case hinges on is one single word being misunderstood because they and they call it the 26 words that created the internet. Well, I call it the 26 words that confuse the world. But it says no provider user shall be treated as the publisher of the content provided by another. So they, they assume mm -hmm. that means if the content was originated somewhere else, by someone else, that they're just not liable as a publisher. But that's not what it says. It says the publisher. It doesn't say a publisher. Mm -hmm. Because if they can't be treated as a publisher, which is what the courts converted it into, it means any publishing. So, for example, hmm. if I post content online, I'm the publisher. Right. They can't be treated as me. But if they take my content, manipulate it, they become a publisher in addition to the publisher, who's me. Mm -hmm. And that one word change is important because they can't be held liable for their own actions, which is what they did to me in court. And it's wrong because – they're saying I'm treating them as me, and I'm not. I'm treating them as them. And that actually applies to this new sex trafficking case. They identified something very important. I understand that correctly. Before, before you get into that sex trafficking case over in Texas, let, let me see if I understand that correctly. So uh, if the law says they can't be treated as the publisher, but the interpretation of it is has said that they can't be treated as a publisher when uh, – uh, if I'm a publisher and I'm on their site using their platform and, and right. publishing my information, uh, uh, if they're saying if, if the interpretation is that they're a publisher and I'm a publisher, uh, aren't I a competitor to them? And, and should they be should it be OK for them to say that I'm a purveyor of false news when it's not true? But just because they use uh, biased uh, fact checkers, they can say that. Uh, and get away with it? Aren't they aren't they being anti-competitive to me as a publisher? Okay, so I, I have to sort of rein in that question because there's actually like three questions in there. There is. <laughs> yes, here's why. So let's go back to what we first talked about, A versus the, okay? Mm -hmm. the, the word the, actually, um, James Madison, right? Founder of her father, argued in the Federalist Papers that the most important word in the right to free speech is the word the, because the denotes that it pre-existed. Okay, right. so that the way the law is written is is that you can't be treated as the conduct, the pre-existing conduct, publishing conduct of right. someone else. When that converts into you can't be treated as a publisher, that's in addition to meaning if they start to modify, manipulate as soon as they put their hands on it. And what most people don't realize is that the reason that 230 C1 exists, that mm -hmm. you can't be treated as someone else is because Congress delegated an authority of protection to do one job. And that was to remove offensive content under 230C2. But as soon as you manipulate any content, you become responsible for all of the content. And that's why they put the 230C1 
treatment issue in there saying you can't be treated as anybody else. We'll define that so that when you do actually become a publisher, which is the next law, you can't be treated as the publisher. There's a difference in that one small word. Now, to go to your second question, anti-competitive behavior. So, for example, remember mm -hmm. the developing in part? There's a def definition of what an information content provider is. Now, content provider has no liability protection whatsoever. If they're providing content in any way, shape, or form, they are responsible for what is provided. So what is yeah. that? That is any person or entity, Facebook, Google, Twitter, whoever, that is responsible. Now, listen to this carefully. Responsible even in part. It says in whole or in part. If they're responsible in whole or in part, meaning insignificantly in the creation or development of information provided online. Creation, we all understand. If they're responsible in making something, yep, they're on sure. the hook. But yeah. most people overlook, and even the courts have overlooked, what development, like the importance of that word. Developing information is any manipulation. If you have your hands in something, mm -hmm. easy way to understand this is, is that if you consider, everybody calls it a platform, but think of a table. Table's a platform, right? Right. Bulletin board, mm -hmm. okay? Let's go with bulletin board. Bulletin board is a great way to put this. If you put something on a bulletin board, they are not responsible for what you put on the bulletin board. That's 230C1. If they take it off of the bulletin board, meaning the owner of the bulletin board removes it, they are not responsible as a publisher for the restrictive action, assuming it's done in good faith as a good Samaritan. Right? We sure. won't get into that part yet. But what if the owner of the bulletin board goes up there and moves your peg? What if they move your pin? Mm -hmm. What if they write something on your, your note? What if they put yours in front of somebody else's or theirs in front of somebody else's? That's development. That's manipulation. As sure soon as is. they put their hands on content in any way, shape, or form, they become responsible for that action and for that content. Meaning, to go back to what you said, fact checkers. If the company pays an outside third party to, quote, originate, as a third party, the mm -hmm. content, and then that content is given to them, and then they publish it, isn't that the very definition of development? They're actually it involved in the like creation it. of it. It seems like, to me, I, mean, I right. mean, just to take an anecdotal example, you know, I mean, every day on my Facebook page, my, my fan page, which has over 200,000 followers, uh, uh, you know, if I, if I post anything that goes against what, Facebook's crazy people believe the community standards, but anything they believe, like uh, anything to do with coding, they tag it with a piece of with a tag that sends people to where what they want them to read. Uh, instead, even even if they don't tag it as false, but more often than not, they get their biased fact checkers to tag it as false, and then they call me a person that right. uh, they defame me and say that I'm purveying uh, false information when in fact it's actually reporting facts that I've learned or, or my folks have learned over time from different areas of, of the world, uh, and different uh, uh, experts and those kinds of things that may or may not be agreed to by Facebook, but they're still facts. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, that's an example of them developing that information, right? Because they, they put a tag on it. Uh, uh, they suppress my feed, so they, they put other posts in front of my posts, even to my own followers, uh, I believe. And I, and I think we lost Jason, folks. Uh, uh, he'll come right back, I'm sure. And uh, uh, But uh, let's talk about some of that. Here he comes right now. Yeah, uh, sorry. Somehow we got, we got disconnected. Hey, it's technology. <laughs> Can't imagine why, right? It's, it's technology, man. It's probably, uh, yeah, you never know mm -hmm. <laughs> these days. Because uh, uh, what I'm telling, and I, and I want to so tell is you. That right? is, is that right? This is important. This is it. This is exactly the issue is, is that most people don't understand what's actually wrong here. Because if you mm -hmm. take all of that, what we just said, and you say that they can't be treated as a publisher for any of their own actions, which is what they basically said, even illegalities are now covered. Everything's covered. Do you know what they call that? They call that sovereignty. Do you think, really? and let's go way back to what you said, do you think Congress had the intention of granting a social media provider sovereignty? 
Wow. No, I do not believe no. that. Uh, there's nothing no. in the law that would lead No, there's to a legislative that. intent. And what was that intent? And most people don't even know that. What was, the, what was the legislative intent of Congress? Well, they wanted to expand the free market. That was one mm -hmm. of the principles. They also brought in what was called the Blue Book of Smut. And it because, of course, there wasn't digital you know, error back then. So they came up with this huge book of, of internet filth. And they mm -hmm. said, well, we want to protect children from harm. Well, okay, that's a valid, you know, gallant, you know, idea. So sure. they said, well, we don't know. We don't, we're not going to be able to set objectives as to how to do that. So we're going to leave that up to private businesses mm -hmm. to rid the internet of, of filth. So what happens is as soon as they put their hands on it and manipulate or restrict content, they'd be responsible for all of it because they'd be left having to be responsible for what they missed. That was the purpose of 230C1 is, is if they miss it, missed, meaning omit, they failed to act. There's a difference between deliberately not acting. And I'm giving that as a segue because, again, that's a sex trafficking issue. That's right, that's with right. the, this new case. There, there is a difference. If I said to you, and I'm trying to put this in simple terms, if I said to you that you can pull down content that's bad and – or let, let, let's, let's use a really bad situation like a, a child is drowning. And you don't know they're drowning. There's nothing you can do. You can't be held responsible for what happened to that child. If you see the child drowning right in front of you, all you have to do is put out your hand. But you make a choice. You knowingly mm -hmm. decide not to do something. You decide knowingly not to take out sex trafficking, but you're worried about political speech. That's different. That's not the omission. That's not failure to act anymore. That's deliberate inaction. That is still an editorial decision. That is a publishing act. Yeah. That is their responsibility. That is why the sex trafficking case is a little bit different. Before we go too deep into, into the sex trafficking case, but now, again, I'm a, I'm a layman, but I'm, I'm educated. Uh, I think I have good common sense. Doesn't this law, does this law actually make these private companies uh, 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 essentially a, an extension of, of a, as a government entity? Uh, it reminds me of the moment in that movie, I, Robot, when it said, and that is the right question. I don't mm -hmm. know if you ever saw the movie, but it was one of those, he has, yeah. he has the hologram, whatever else like that. That is exactly the right question. So... Let's pull that apart. Are they a state actor, right? And for those that don't, mm -hmm. I, I'm just boiling everything down for all your audience. It, it, are they a state actor? Is, is, what is a state actor? state actor is somebody acting on behalf of the government, right? So in there have been cases in the past that said, well, this delegation of authority to regulate speech to these private entities is a, makes them a state actor. Well, much like the knowing and unknowing situation, there, there's a difference. in so the courts determined that they weren't state actors. They're a private entity. They can do what they want. But here's right. the thing. If I grant you the authority to go do something under, under law, right? So I'm, I'm delegating mm -hmm. an authority for you to be able to regulate information. If I grant you the authority, is that different than me telling you what to do? You have a choice, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're mm -hmm. making an independent choice, that's not a state actor. That's just state authority. Right. The difference with like, for example, Dr. Shiva's case, this is where things change. Twitter had a portal directly to government and at the direction of government took action. That makes them a state actor. There's a difference between directive and and authority. Authority so is just the, the power to do so. Yeah. Direction is the is the instruction to do so. So the law doesn't make them an entity of the government, but if there's an agreement between the government and uh, this tech company, you mentioned the, the Dr. Shiva case, uh, uh, that's exactly why the question came up in my mind. I wanted to make sure I fully understood the difference between the law and authority and, and being directed by the government. Uh, under Under an agreement, I might add, Right. Uh, is what his attorneys have argued. That makes them an entity of the government, which is yes. against the First Amendment rights, uh, uh, obviously, uh, of an American citizen for the government to suppress their speech. Right. Right. So, that, okay. 
in that circumstance, they are an official regulatory agent of the government. He is acting on behalf of the government. He is not acting with authority. Wow. He, well, he's acting with authority, but he's also acting as a regulatory agent at the direction of the government. And that is where I found essentially, whatever you want to call it, the holy grail, the wooden stake to finally put an end to Section 230. I was looking for exactly that. Where, where does that line end? What kind of law is it? And mm -hmm. I finally found the case precedent that says an official regulatory body. Now, the way that this works is Congress delegates an authority to an official regulatory body like the FCC, the right. FTC, the FEC, SEC. Well, let's take the FCC for a minute, right? The Federal Communications Commission. Mm -hmm. What do they do? They, they regulate speech and stuff like that on television and communications things, but they don't do the internet. Right. 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 So the power of Google, Facebook and every other little person out there has the same exact power as the FCC. They can regulate you. They can find they can take you off. Mm -hmm. They can do whatever else like that. Right. So they're right. Lev levying penalizations. Right. It's, you're penalizing right. you. Right. Sure. OK. So if they're doing that, they're acting as as the FCC, but they're not an official body because they're a private entity. But if they're acting at the direction of government, then they aren't a private entity. They're a state actor. So the question is, but are they allowed to act as a private entity? And everybody says, yeah. Lots of proponents say, yeah, they have a First Amendment right. Sure, they have a First Amendment right. 100%. Yeah. They can do that. But they can't regulate under protection of law at the direction of Congress. There's a difference. Mm. And, and I'm going to read this to you because I think your audience will be interested in this. So this is taking from some of the court precedent that I found, and this is going to be very interesting to everybody. Pay very close attention. The Supreme Court held that Congress's delegation of authority to the commission. Now remember, Facebook, Google, and Twitter are all acting as a commission, right? They're acting as the FCC. Was unconstitutional, right? Mm -hmm. Because it conferred power not to an official body, but, quote, to private persons or entities whose interests may be and often are adverse to the interests of others in the same business, end quote. <laughs> While the court struck down the delegation by citing to the Fifth Amendment's due process clause, the non-delegation doctrine loomed largely in the background with the decision of the, with the court calling Congress's actions, quote, legislative delegation in its most obnoxious form. Private entities aren't supposed to have this kind of power. Constitution actually acknowledges sure exactly sounds that. Like the non-delegation yeah. doctrine in relation to private entities still remains a pillar of the original understanding of the doctrine that Congress may not delegate any legislative authority, and they have with Section 230. So there's a problem here. Now, this is interesting. It goes on to say that this standard has effectively allowed Congress – tell me this, this doesn't fit. This standard has effectively allowed Congress to grant administrative agencies – here, Facebook, Google, Twitter, private entities, the authority oh. to create any rule they deem to be in the public interest, solely relying on the agency's own views and policy agenda, rather than requiring Congress to set forth objective guidelines. Why do you think Mark Zuckerberg was pleading with Congress to set objective guidelines as to what is lawful? Because he knows it's unconstitutional. Section 230 at its core yeah. is unconstitutional under the Fifth Amendment. Second problem with the court upholding you – know, so this is what, what we're dealing with, which is a court issue. I said a second problem with the court upholding broad policy objectives, which they're doing broad you know, broad protections that Section 230 allows, and mm -hmm. delegations that give unlimited amounts of legislative authority to agencies, like these guys, is the manner in which the courts justify their decisions. The court never upholds phrases like public interest, just and reasonable rates, or listen to this one, unfair competition, which is exactly what my lawsuit was about. Right. This has all been done. It, the fact of the matter is, is nobody's looked at it from the standpoint of a delegation of regulatory authority by Congress to a private entity, which it can't do because it can regulate in its own self-interest. And they have done exactly that. <laughs> they are doing exactly that. Exactly. <laughs> I and mean, it's, I mean, it's extremely difficult as a starter, uh, a person that's done a starter company 
legal entity, whatever you want to call it, a starter small business in the digital publishing world, uh, it's extremely difficult to overcome the big tech oligarchs, let alone, you know, all the other little competitors out there uh, when the when the playing fields got, uh, you know, a 600 pound gorilla, so to speak, or an elephant sitting on one side. And that's Facebook, Twitter, all those other guys. You know, it, it's just very difficult to become a flourishing uh, small business digital publisher because well, of that. here's what's interesting and th this is where it sort of goes wrong is the FCC itself can't have any interest in the companies or that it regulates whereas <laughs> private companies have an interest in it and that's why private entities yeah. shouldn't have this power in the first place but what's quite interesting about that is is that if they regulate on their own behalf the regulations, what most people don't understand, like that's penal code, right? It's right. That's why it's due process because if I have no way to get to court to be able to fight something that is illegal, anti-competitive behavior is illegal. I can't even get a day in court. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting due process, right? I was penalized. I can't do anything about it. Like you can't yeah. even challenge it. And because I get, because everybody thinks, oh, I lost. No, I, I haven't even been heard. We've been dismissed prior to being heard. Like it's the asking the courts to be heard. And mm -hmm. the thing about the due process is, is that if they can regulate against me and it leads to, well, and let me just ask you a very, very simple question. I think everybody can, everybody can answer here. Do they regulate uniformly? Are the community standards applied uniformly across the board? Absolutely not. If the community standards are effectively quasi, meaning kind of, sort of, they're penal code written by private entities that they can enforce. Arbitrary prosecution of any penal code whatsoever must apply to due process. You must, it must be uniformly applied, have, uh, what do they call it, measurable boundaries, meaning it is either wrong or it's mm -hmm. right. That's it. Yeah. There's no discretionary period. And the, the thing is, is that anything that is arbitrarily prosecuted is not constitutional under the fifth. That's what, how most of these um, death penalty cases come down because right. it can't be arbitrary. There can't be discretion involved. It has to have a measurable bound. Well, if you just simply look, remember we went from all the way back to the beginning of this conversation. Remember I said every word's important. Exactly. Yeah. Any action voluntarily taken in good faith, to restrict access to or availability of materials that the provider or user considers. Consideration is discretionary. In yeah. its core, it's right there in the law itself. It is a discretionary, arbitrary enforcement based upon whatever agenda or policy or political viewpoint or economic you know, gain that a private entity has. This is what Congress, what the Supreme Court called the most obnoxious form of delegation that exists. Oh, it is absolutely, uh, you know, in just my little world, uh, they're capable of suppressing uh, uh, an entity like mine from, from reaching a million page views on a website per month uh, through the, the audience that we've built, you know, and invested in uh, on their platform and uh, uh, down to less than 10% of it today. And that's just since September of last year. Uh, it's it's incredible. It's, it's incredible. Criminal. And it is, it is criminal because it's that's, criminal. that means revenue. So you don't get revenue to, to reinvest and, and maintain uh, and, and get capital built up and, and reinvest in your company to grow it and those kinds of things. So, yeah, I mean, holy cow, holy cow. Well, let's talk a little bit about this new case that uh, I just saw you tweet about. I think it was yesterday uh, over in Texas. And, uh, folks, it has to do with uh, Facebook, I believe, and sex trafficking. Jason, uh, go into that, and why is that, why is that case going to be important to the ability to defeat uh, big tech and its war on our freedom? Okay, so um, I read the the findings, what the court said, and, and I want to bring this up real quick because uh, this, this is important. Um, mm -hmm. This is from, now realize, first off, 
I've already gone through circuit court, already petitioned the Supreme Court. So this this is a Texas Supreme Court, which means they, they have a ways to go before they get to circuit court to even level before I have a circuit right. court conflict. But they brought up some things that are very interesting. It says, we do not understand Section 230 to, quote, create a lawless no man's land on the Internet, end quote, in which states are powerless to impose liability on websites that knowingly or intentionally participate in the evil of online human trafficking. So there's some important words there. Remember what I said? Knowingly. Yeah. If they are unaware of human sex trafficking, okay, they're not responsible. They fail to act. It stinks. I agree. But if there's a difference between knowingly and unknowingly, now it is hard to say that a company this large with AI can find political speech, can find economic stuff, but it can't find sex trafficking, hmm. which was the intent by Congress to protect. It's hard to, to believe that anybody would, with that kind of capacity could make sure that you don't mention hydrochloroquine, but misses sex trafficking. No, they knowingly ignore it. That's an editorial decision. Yeah. Now, let's go back to my argument again, where we said – they were involved in the actual publishing decision, which makes them a publisher, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the um, in this case, Facebook sought 230C1 immunity again and said, well, we can't be treated as a publisher because we are not involved because that content originated somewhere else. Well, the Texas Supreme Court, in their wisdom, recognized something. And this, this was important even in my case. Holding internet platforms accountable for the words or actions of their users is one thing, and the federal precedent uniformly dictates that Section 230 does not allow that. Right. Right. Can't be held accountable for the actions of another or the content of another. That's 230C1. That's, but I wasn't holding them accountable for what I did or for my own content. Right. It says, it goes on, holding internet platforms accountable for their own misdeeds is quite another thing. Oh. That right there is the the versus a publishing argument. They can't be treated as someone else, the publisher, but they can be treated as a publisher. And I catch people all the time, all these so-called Section 230 experts. I say, can you treat somebody as a publisher under 230C1? And they go, no. Yes, you can. You can't treat them as the <laughs> publisher. Right. Language is everything. It is absolutely everything, but so so these the Texas Supreme Court is saying that the Facebook oligarch uh, and his minions can be held accountable for their own misdeeds. How, they how do they knowingly. were they in a circumstance that defined misdeeds? So that, that enabled them build that judicial construct and. So, uh, and you broke up there a little bit. Um, unfortunately, I don't know why it's overlaying. But so my the way that I would perceive the case, and I don't know all of the details of the case, but if Facebook knowingly is allowing sex trafficking, um, and that's pretty much why uh, Backpage was taken down, because they, they knowingly hosted uh, escort services and so forth. And mm -hmm. if they're knowingly partaking in, you know, the advancement, the development of... Um, essentially, it's negligent conduct. Well, it looks like we've lost Jason again. Uh, he'll uh, he'll come back, I know, uh, because this case is extremely important. And uh, Jason, you weren't gone very long. Uh, <laughs> it it's interesting because I have high speed internet, yeah. and it keeps yeah, yeah. and I keep and so do I. And, yeah. and this is the first time I've ever lost a guest. Twice. Three times. Four Three times. times yeah. the show. Oh, <laughs> and each time we've lost the yeah. uh, viewers too yeah. simultaneously. Yeah. But so no, what I was saying is I, I know a woman by the name of Kelly and I and I want to mention her plight, which is there's a, a site called Sanctioned Suicide. It's it is it's disgusting. They the site is entirely about enabling children to and, and I probably shouldn't even have said the name, but I don't think a lot of children will see this. Um it's about en enabling children to basically kill themselves. It, yeah. it is oh my goodness. the most horrendous thing I've ever, she lost her son to this mm. and she can't pursue because the courts believe that he can't be held 
accountable, even though it's contributory negligence. Well, this this case really opens a different door saying, wait a second. And 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 what most people don't recognize is they missed one huge thing. And it's in plain English. It's matter of fact, it's even in quotes. Good Samaritan. The whole oh. section 230, all of it. It's the Good Samaritan protection, right? Mm -hmm. Protection for Good Samaritan blocking and screening of offensive materials. So right. Good Samaritan is the entire, what's called the intelligible principle. This goes back to Congress. The intelligible mm -hmm. principle upon which all regulatory authority is granted, meaning you must be acting in the benefit of the public for the benefit of others. Obviously, anti-competitive behavior for their own financial benefit is not in their behavior, but neither right. is criminal negligence. Negligence or contributory negligence, I should say. If they're contributing to the death of, of her son, that's negligent. That's not a good Samaritan, especially if the site owner is actually doing it deliberately. But here, yeah. Facebook got caught up in the same situation. Is They are contributing to that negligence without doing anything to resolve it when they clearly could do something about it. Mm -hmm. They were not acting as a good Samaritan. I mean, this so, whole this whole pandemic uh, uh, time period has, has proven what you just said. They can easily do something about those things uh, uh, through their artificial intelligence capabilities uh, and policies that they implement on the algorithms and those kind of things. Right? I mean, I mean, it's obvious to me. If I even mention vaccine and COVID nineteen mm -hmm. within seconds. They tag it. They tag the post on my pages. Well, think about this. If you were somebody who believed the fact checkers, right? Mm -hmm. And then there are lots of people that believed it, right? And you went, whoa, I better not take that hydrochloroquine stuff because yeah, that's like fish tank like stuff and it, it'll kill you. Right. And then you get COVID mm -hmm. and you die from COVID. And then it turns mm -hmm. out, wait a second. Hydrochloroquine and zinc works, or ivermectin works. Yeah. There's contributory negligence on the part of the social media company to provide potential life-saving medical aid. Wait, isn't that practicing medicine without a license? It certainly seems like it is to me. I mean, doesn't that – it's not that they they were negligent. I mean, they were negligent in a way – but isn't there another term when they're actively subverting information uh, that uh, that leads people to their deaths because they yeah. didn't weren't allowed to get the correct information? Yeah, it's called is being a criminal. It's called being a criminal. Criminal, yeah, exactly. It's literally it's, criminal. Yeah. Like no, we're, yeah. we're we're jumping outside a publisher. We're outside yeah. of editorial decisions. We are flat into that was a criminal act. We're not. It's not civil right. anymore. This is flat out. If you are, if you are making publishing decisions to deny medical information to others that leads to the death of someone else, you are contributing and and criminal negligence, flat out. Yeah. And they are running wow. a real, real fine line right now because if they're making these decisions and people died and it's proven that it was correct and those decisions were handed down by government or by handed down by anybody else. So people are going to be really on the hook here. Yeah. Cause and I don't think is, any government entity is given the, any, any corporate entity immunity from that under the pandemic emergency orders, as far as I'm aware. Well, so this all comes down to, and here's the crazy part. Does, I mean, think about what we originally asked in my lawsuit, and, and I'm going to summarize anti-competitive conduct for something else. Mm -hmm. Does Section 230 immunize otherwise illegal conduct? That's what we basically asked the court. If it's no. illegal anywhere else, anywhere else, just because it's within the ether of the internet or mm -hmm. be con considered a publishing decision – like, what if, like, they just, you know, uh, what if they develop, you know, meaning they promote or prioritize things that says drink Drano? And they go, well, they're not a publisher. They can make that publishing decision. That's contributing to people's death. That's, it's yeah. way outside the scope of what Section 230 was intended to do, what it means, what the words say, nothing about it, but yet the courts are still covering. And they shouldn't be. 
Section 230, as Justice Thomas said, is a very modest understanding. And this is all it is. Mm -hmm. Section 230, Good Samaritan Provision, says that they get one protection. It doesn't say protections. It says one protection. There's, it's not plural. One right. protection. You can restrict materials that are specifically harmful, offensive, objectionable, lewd, lascivious, filthy, that could be harmful to others. You're allowed to take it down. And that you are not responsible. You can't be held accountable for what anybody else does. That's it. What anybody else does. But if you contribute in any insignificant way, in part, to anything of the creation or manipulation, development of it, you're on the hook. Meaning, is, if they're doing this stuff, they're on the hook. Is contributing ignoring it when you have the capability to not ignore, ignore it? Which is, is that what the misdeeds are that the Texas court was talking about? Correct. With the omission and deliberate, un, like deliberate omission, right? Mm -hmm. So right. if you fail to act is very different than if you deliberately not act. You've made a publishing editorial life decision, whatever. If you don't reach out and grab that child that's drowning right next to you, that is different than not knowing he's drowning in the first place. The protection that Congress granted was simply that if they – and, and the courts have even said this, quote, unknowingly host offensive content, meaning like if they unknowingly host pa – like passively host, meaning they had nothing to do with it. As soon as they have something to do with it, they have one job, and that is to protect others, Good Samaritan. If you're not acting to protect others, meaning you're regulating on your own self-benefit or at the direction of government or for any other reason other than to protect other people, you have mm -hmm. no protection. None. You fail instantly. Enigma figured that out. Snapchat versus Lemon figured that out because they were contributing mm -hmm. to the negligence, right. meaning it, it's not – a far stretch like I, I was explaining this to somebody today i said if you went over because somebody's car is burning and you break their window and you drag them out of the car and they cut mm -hmm. their leg you are not going to be held liable because of good samaritan protections if right. you go over to the car and you take an axe and you swing it through the car and you put it through the center of their chest and kill them themselves that's contributory negligence that was stupid same thing right. happens with snap and snapchat versus lemon is they made a speed filter that exceeds 100 plus miles, it had no limit, and it rewarded you to go faster. Mm. Well, even motorcycles put limits at 186 miles an hour, right? even though they can go faster than that. Why? Because they're contributing negligence. It's stupid. Why did you, why did you do that, right? Anybody logically mm -hmm. would be like, uh, I think that like around 80 or whatever the highest speed limit is in America, limit it right there. That's logical. Maybe even five miles per hour over. 120, well, somebody crashes because they're trying to hit it. You're on the hook. So let me ask you, you mentioned that, that this protects them. Protection. It should protect them uh, by you know unknowingly allowing content that can hurt somebody on their site. Uh, and, and it gives them immunity for when they're taken down. They take it down. They can't be held liable by the individual they took it down from. Uh, but we're not talking about content that they disagree with. Like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not a Nazi, but I know that there are people in the world that still say Hitler was right. Uh, I mean, that's offensive content to me, but it's not going to physically harm anybody or, or get a kid involved in sex trafficking and those kind of things. Uh, is that content included in that exception, too? Or are they overreaching when they do that? The correct answer to that is that is not a decision that a private entity should make. Right. That is something that should be an objective guideline coming down from an elected representative because we can then change it as the people. That decision isn't ours to make. It's not really Facebook, Google's, or Twitter's. Is it right. lawful speech? Yes. Some would say it's offensive. The thing is, it becomes discretionary, which then goes back to arbitrary prosecution of discretionary penal code. The fact of the matter is, is that the only way for section, and I'm going to lay this out for everybody real clear, the only way for section 230 to be constitutionally sufficient, at least in my eyes, and, it, and of course we have to go to court to, to find all this stuff out, 
mm-hmm. is that a separate, independent regulatory body that is official, meaning like the FCC for the internet, is created without any interest in these companies, and then with objective guidelines from Congress says, okay, what is lewd, lascivious, filthy, excessively violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable? What is offensive? What is lawful? What is unlawful? Set those guidelines for the entire internet. That's the way it would work. That's the only way it should work. Private companies shouldn't make that decision because we don't know. It, it in their eyes, that might be acceptable. In my eyes, it's not acceptable. And, you know, calling somebody a Nazi, period, I think is offensive in itself. Do I mm-hmm. think that it should be taken offline? No. I think it is lawful speech. Do I think that if we follow the guidelines that so much exists there, harassing? It's harassing. It, it actually falls within an actual definition that has some measurable bounds. Mm-hmm. Um so okay, it's arguably it could be taken down because it's harassing, right? But yeah, taking yeah, a I mean, out of a to be, is different. Yeah, but we have to we have to be careful in this country. You know, this this isn't the United Kingdom or the EU or or, or India or uh, or God forbid China. I mean, this is the United States of America, right? I mean, I would defend uh, the Nazis going to march in Muskogee, uh, wherever. Uh, it is as long as they're peaceful and they're exercising their rights, just like the ACLU of old did. They wouldn't do it today, but they should do it today uh, because it, there, but by the grace of God, go I, you know, and my speech is being suppressed by uh, government supported corporate entities right now because we're not stepping up to defend speech that offends us. Uh, I mean, that's the whole idea. Uh, behind li- that liberty, right? Uh, I mean, right. that's uh, I mean, we've really got to uh, take this opportunity to to get our hands around that issue before it goes too far. And it's already gone too far, in my opinion. Well, that's just it is is that Congress granted, like, gave up that liberty to free speech under protection of law to a private entity. And mm-hmm. yes, the private entity has a First Amendment right but they don't have that right under the protection of government. That's where it fails. Because if they're not an official regulatory body, they shouldn't have that power. And if they are an official regulatory body, this is the catch-22, then they are subject to the Bill of Rights, just like the FCC. The FCC exactly. is subject to it. And and that is where the legal argument is going to be coming next. And that is what we intend to do next. Um, and it's something that, uh, you know, your audience needs to share this and needs to reach out because as much as we're hearing all of these blowhards talking about doing this and doing that, not much action's happening. Right. And I can tell you this, yeah. I, I, I am invested. I'm an, I'm just the average guy that just got squashed on social media. I used to make a ton of money on there and they just shut me off and they didn't have any good reason. It was mm-hmm. anti-competitive. They, they did it because they didn't make any money from me. And that's not what, 230 actually protects. So what's our next step? How do we solve this? We bring a constitutional challenge against the United States of America under my Fifth Amendment due process rights over Section 230. We're going to challenge the whole law and say, you can't grant them this power. And it's because this is exactly the problem that Congress warned about, that the Supreme Court warned about, that Dozens of attorney, you know, uh, judges have warned about is that this power in a in the idea of a of a private entity is adverse to others. Absolutely. I mean, think of what happened to Parler. All of a sudden, Parler starts gaining ground rapidly, and all of a sudden, up oh, it violates everybody's terms of service and gets wiped out. Everybody, everywhere. Yeah, and that, what, and Jason? Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's okay. a good example. That's a good example of what what I'm thinking about is, uh, you know. We, we have these platforms and they're able to just shut something like Parler down immediately. I mean, immediately with no recourse, but there, and you, you kind of touched on this a second ago and I wanted to talk about this before, before the show's over. So let's dig into it a little bit. I mentioned in my monologue and you just mentioned, there's a lot of talk in the, in the Congress and the government about holding these folks accountable, but there's never any action. No. Never. I'm, no. I, I can say that for sure there is never an action 
that holds these guys accountable. They come up and blow all kinds of smoke screens in Congress and the people see it. Uh, and none of them, the Jim Jordans, the Matt Gates. I mean, I'll call them out. I like, I like those guys. I, they're, there's folks that I like the way they behave, you know, the way they, they call well. out the other side, they but sound well, but they don't do anything about it. And they have the power to do something about it. Uh, for God's sake, they passed section two thirty in the first place. Uh, and, uh, and you know, they have the antitrust power. If, if uh, antitrust legislation needs to occur to bust these monopolies up. Okay. So be it. The American people voted for that kind of stuff, but why aren't they using these tools? They're not doing anything. Well, I'm still waiting for Congress members to come. I mean, there's several that know about me, know what we're doing. Yeah. You have to get a call from anyone and I'm going, Hmm. Why is that? I can tell you, I'm I'm not lobbied. I'm not giving any money. I'm using my own money to do this stuff. I am legitimately actually fighting it for the American public. There's no yeah. other reason. You know, I, I mean, I've I've I am spiraling. Actually, we just formed um, the Social Media Freedom Foundation for exactly that purpose. I'm I'm going to need help, and I'm going to need help from the American public. Like to be able to sustain this fight is incredibly difficult. And now we're going to take on a bigger fight. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Congress isn't doing it. We can't wait on them anymore. Congress is the one that messed it up in the first place. Congress gave them this power. And, and here's an irony. This is something that, that everybody should take forward. How ironic is it that Congress delegated the regulatory authority that they now use to regulate Congress? Oops. Yeah. I mean, that that's, not even, ironic. that's not yeah. even a joke. I mean, it's actually yeah. Congress granted the, the, the authority to regulate a president. And I mean, you have to understand something that, that these decisions have to be in the interest of the public, right? That's the way it's supposed to be implemented. Good Samaritan in the interest right. of the public. How is taking down any congressional member or taking down a president in the interest of the public when inherently they were elected by the public? Exactly. It's not and even when logical. They, and, and when their actions have done nothing to uh, cause someone harm physically or even mentally, quite honestly, I mean, there's no, no, uh, no adequate facts, foundation, or proof uh, that any of those people. I, I mean, I recall the, you know, when Nunes and Jordan uh, and, all, and there was like four of those guys uh, during the Russia thing. Uh, the Russiagate thing, that big hoax that the Democrats and their their intelligence agency buddies around the world put on the American people against that last president named Trump. Uh, and uh, what Twitter do? They didn't ban them they, or shut them down. They they just quietly. Got it, but they didn't do any of their panel and ask them questions about it. You know, uh, well, you, I mean, you, you made it. You made a very good point. Be, possible uh, under the legal construct of the United States for them to get away with that. You made a very good point. And I could go back to what I just said. And let's see, I'm going to ask, I'm going to reverse, I'm going to ask you a question. So if they're just making any rule they want on their own policy agenda, supposedly in the interest of the public, without a measure of good faith, good Samaritanism, intelligible principles out of it, and you can't challenge it. You can't do anything about it. Wouldn't that be due process? You're still lacking due process. You can't do anything about regulatory enforcement, the denial of your property. Because when you put stuff online, right, right. due process, life, liberty, and property, when you deny that, you are obligated by the government to grant due process rights, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm content, the wrong person to ask property, about that because I agree with you. <laughs> well, it's I agree. Simple. It's a due process issue. If you're going to deny somebody life, liberty, or property, you have to have due process, meaning you are fully entitled to the laws, equally apply with measurable boundaries, etc. If you're taking down my property, what I put together, my materials, and denying me that, that's penalization. That's due process. I should have the right to be able to challenge that under the 
law and I can't even get an anti-competitive illegal behavior heard, I can't get due process. Nobody can. It, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've not done a, a, a aggressive, overly aggressive look for an attorney to, to take a case for me against these guys, uh, but, uh, but in just my little bit of looking, nobody wants to do it. Uh, they don't think they can win. And I guess that answers one of the questions I wanted to ask you, but I, I think it's moot. Uh, and that is why aren't citizens suing the heck out of Facebook and Twitter and those kind of, and those big tech oligarchs? Why aren't they? Because the courts keep it the way it is. They, uh, the courts rely on overly broad interpretations and they just say, well, it was broad in the past. It's going to be broad now too. But meanwhile, there's nothing broad about section 230. It says what it says. And yeah. it's it's going to take brave court judges. You know, mm -hmm. it's going to take some brave ones to stand up and say, no, that's not what it says. That's not what it means. It's not what the Congress's intention were. And the funny thing is, is that as much as Congress is saying that it's so terrible, Congress still has control of them. So why change anything if they're already controlled? <laughs> they're already working on behalf of them, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely right. Now the Texas judges, uh, that's what they've said is that, Hey, this doesn't, this, this is not interpreted. Uh, the, we interpret it a different way uh, and that's you can't just get away with, with criminality, uh, and misdeeds on your, yep. in your own right. Right. I'm expecting uh, well, that that case will make it to the circuit court and it will prevail in the circuit court, which will provide a, a circuit court conflict with that illegal behavior in itself. And it's funny because they, they said, we don't want to touch Enigma in so many words. They said, we don't want to touch Enigma because they're not getting into that argument, but this is a negligence issue, which is essentially a tort claim as well. Yeah. But that will provide a circuit court conflict that, that doesn't exist right now. That's the problem why we, we couldn't get heard by the Supreme Court. We don't have a circuit court conflict because there's no other circuit court that's handled. It's all California, Northern District of California's Handled all of it, the Ninth Circuit, all of it. There's wow. nothing else to challenge it. Now, besides our own court, we have we may have a, a, an outside circuit court that says something different, that you can hold them accountable under 230C1 for their own behavior. I mean, it's, it's yeah. pretty simple, but that's what the court's messed up. But well, we can't do it without fighters, and I think this no. this this week before Independence Day, the Fourth of July, was a was a the best time to talk about uh, taking our freedoms back, uh, especially our freedom of thought, freedom of speech, and ability to get our own message out and and be prosperous in our own right and be able to compete uh, as a business entity. And I really do appreciate it, Jason. Uh, put out that the organization again that you're you've uh, created to get some assistance and tell folks where they can find you online and follow you on Twitter and those kind of things. Uh, at Jason Fick is a Twitter handle that's up on the screen, folks. Uh, some more social media. So uh, the, the entity that we just formed is a 501c4. Um, it's called the Social Media Freedom Foundation. Uh, it, it, we have not even built the site yet. It, this is very early in its infancy. Um, the site will be socialmediafreedom.org or smfreedom.org for short. Um, we are looking for substantial help here because it's amazing how people will fund all of these blowhards, but the people that are actually in the trenches fighting this thing out. And, you know, if you just listen to this past hour, logically what i said makes sense do i know what the courts will do no i do not do you know how i know what the courts will say when i go to court that's the help we need is this with the social media freedom foundation um so if you can reach out to me uh, my uh my email is also jason at jasonfick.com pretty easy to remember um okay. weird, weird last name <laughs> <laughs> hey join the club with real weird last names my friend i appreciate you coming on man and uh uh, we will, uh, we will keep getting information out. This episode will be published, uh, on my website and on lifeset.com's, uh, website, uh, with over a million, uh, viewers, uh, we'll get it out there and we'll keep it out there. And once you get more information and, uh, on how to donate, uh, what the organization actually, uh, where it's at on a, on a website and those kind of things, we'll put it, we'll put that out there too. We'll support it because, this is important, folks, just for all of us. 
And uh, we appreciate Jason Fick uh, spending so much time with us to try to walk us through the issues and also uh, describe what's a viable path to winning the war and causing big tech to lose the war against freedom and free markets. Thanks a well, lot, Jason. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Jason Fick, uh, entrepreneur and uh, uh, activist for social media freedom. Uh, and remember those words, social media freedom foundation. Uh, he is uh, uh, one of the few, there aren't very many, that are fighting this in the courts. Uh, and he's not an attorney. He has to hire attorneys to do it. And we want to make sure that we actually do defeat the big tech guys in this war because they are at war with you and me and all of us here in the United States of America and our right to think and speak freely and make sure other people can hear us. So until next week, I'm Rob Manis, and I appreciate you joining us and engage, being an engaged audience. And I'll see you on July 6th after the 4th of July. Have a great weekend.